The man from Tallahassee. What is that, some kind of code? No, John. Unfortunately, we don't have a code for there's a man in my closet holding a gun to my daughter's head. Although we obviously should. Welcome to Tessa Watches Lost, Monkey Off My Backlog's second weekly podcast where one of us reacts to a TV show that the other has forced us to watch. I'm your host, Sam, and with me is Tessa, the Cobra to my Corvette. So for a second, I thought you were going to say Cobra Kai, which is also a reference that gets made in these episodes. But why do I have to be Cobra? Actually, you know what? I'd rather be Cobra than Sawyer. Yeah, plus Cobra means you're like young Lando at some point. Yeah, and obviously I want to be young so that's, Lando. That's, that's cool, yeah. right? Yeah. Coolest person in Star Wars. Yeah. This week, we're talking about the season three episodes, Enter 7-7, Par Avion, The Man from Tallahassee, and Expose. Let's get the Nikki and Paolo Super Friends happy hour started! Tessa, were you surprised at the reveal that Cobra is none other than Mr. Lashade? Star Wars exists in the Lost Universe, y'all. Because it's not just that he plays a character in the Lost Universe. It's that he is Billy D. Williams playing the Cobra of the show Expose. And she actually thanks him when she after the shoot is over. Like, it was great working with you. And then later, when Hurley finds the script, his name is listed at the top of the call sheet. Right. So, Billy D. Williams, prominent, famous Star Wars actor in the Lost Universe. I was very excited for no particular spoiler reason to tell Tessa that this does prove that Star Wars is in the universe of Lost for no reason. It's actually Billy D. Williams who's the head of the Dharma Initiative. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I know that you really want to talk about Saeed's triumphant return to being part of the main mission. But we're not going to do that yet. Part of it. Not yet. Not yet. In Expose, we learned that Nikki is a guest actor on a popular television show. And she's running a con with Chef Paolo on the show's creator. How does this make you feel? I was hesitant going in because you were like, this is a Nikki and Paolo episode, and we all know that Nikki and Paolo seem very contrived, and I don't care about them, and they take away screen time from characters that I do care about. However, this is a really good episode. I was shocked. Yeah, it's a really good episode. Yeah, I was surprised. I have thoughts, though. My first thought, and possibly most important thought, is that Expose might actually be the best idea for a television show. Like Hurley's not wrong when he finds the no, script he's and he's wrong. like, this is one of the best things on television. No. Now, there is a problem with that. I mean, think about it. Strippers. Sure. Solving crimes. Right. With Billy D. Williams as like their handler, and he turns out to be the big bad. Right. In a wonderful twist. It would be like if Charlie turned out to be the big bad of Charlie's Angels. Or Bosley, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, Charlie, well, he does he in mean. the most recent one. Remember, uh, one of the Bosleys turns out to be evil. Wait, there was a Charlie's Angels that happened in the last few years? Shut up. It was hot, and you know it. I mean, it, it was good. I Yeah, I mean, it's very close to what the idea for this show actually is. Right. Except this show would be much lower brow, and that's okay. And that's okay. My only qualm is, is that... The only qualm with a fictitious TV show? Yeah, my only qualm with just my only qualm with just saying I really want the show to exist yeah. is that it's being show run by a very old man, which right. makes me think that it's like exploitation-y. Sure. Like, could you imagine if this was a show being show run by Phoebe Waller Bridges? No. Like I can't. It would be amazing. Would watch the hell out of it. Okay. I Even with I, bring back Nikki. Wait bring back that actress. Wait a minute. You want the show to star Lando Calrissian and be written and showrun by the Millennium Falcon. Yeah. Yeah. That's what Absolutely. you want. Absolutely. 100%. That's what you want. She okay. can even be in it. As the Millennium Falcon? Sure. Why okay. not? We're already doing stripper solve crimes. <laughs> it could be like. Wait. Wait. It could be like Hustlers wait, meets Killing no. Eve meets Star Wars. This show should be. This is. This is. 
when Hulu and Disney Plus inevitably combine so we can do like Lizzie McGuire grown up on Disney Plus for real this time. Still mad. Hashtag yeah. still mad. This show that we're pitching, Stripper Solve Crimes, it's in the Star Wars universe. That's what? it. I like. We because, did it. We did it. Because podcasting is a visual medium, everybody, I just made a flipping table motion. We should write TV. We should, we write, should write this TV. show. Stripper yep. Solve Crime yep. in space in a galaxy far, far away. Now like, listen, listen. Yeah. This is like. It can be set in Moss Eisley. They already have the sets. This feeds right into the internet saying that like there are only three planets in the Star Wars yeah. galaxy. <laughs> we just keep seeing them over and over again. This 100%. is like this is like the sixth show we've come up with. This is good though. This is gold. I mean Curly is not wrong. Listen, if you're gonna throw that contract at Ryan Murphy and get what you got back. I think a streaming service really needs to come through for us. I agree. So that's the most important part of this episode. Yeah. But it's actually not why the episode is good. Okay. So, all right. So we've got the flashback, but on the island, this episode devolves into full treasure of the Sierra Madre territory. Isn't that sad? It is, but I liked it. Because Tessa loves sadness. I do love sadness. Um, <laughs> no. So here's the thing. I think that exploring truly human emotions in a bizarre and difficult situation is what Lost actually excels at. And this is a good episode from the sense that there are people in this world who would value diamonds in a place where diamonds are valueless, right? Like when Hurley says, we didn't know you very well, but apparently you killed each other for diamonds. That is the most like dark, ironic humor of this episode, besides the fact that they're not actually dead, which we'll get to. Right. And there's tons of humor in this episode, oh, yeah. right? Because this, this episode takes us all the way from the crash back up to present day. There's lots to laugh at, including when Paolo sees the plane, because they came across Mr. Echo's brother's plane first, and he says, I'm not going up there. It'll fall. <laughs> It'll fall. Which it did. Which it does. And then, of course, they find the Pearl Station first. Right. And they actually encounter the others first, because they see Ben and Juliet come to the Pearl Station while they're hiding in the bathroom. Yep. So, yeah, there is a lot of that. We get a lot of greatest moments of Lost here in the third season. <laughs> we see them in the plane crash in a flashback. We see them watching Jack give the live together, die alone speech, which is like a big deal. Yeah, so we get a lot of that. We get a lot of guest appearances from people who have died. We get Ian Somhalder and Maggie Grace. Sure, I think that's right. Is that her name? I think so. Yeah, so we get a lot of these like other characters in Artst. We get Artst, R.I.P. Artst. I like how you included him with the... With the OG characters. Yeah, that's... Yeah, so Artst was clearly a good way of introducing a background character to... Like, they did a really good job with being like, yeah, he's been here the whole time, guys. Wink, wink. I mean, that's the thing. I feel like we, as an audience, don't necessarily need, we don't need a lot from the background characters in order to understand that they're valuable in some way. Like, you could just bring out a character and say, yeah, he's been here the whole time. What of it? But I actually think this episode with Nikki and Paolo would have been funnier and probably more effective if it had been a completely standalone episode and we had never seen these two characters before. If we had just assumed that they were in the background and we like Sawyer when Nikki comes running out of the jungle and falls apparently dead at Sawyer's feet, we along with Sawyer say, who the hell is Nikki? I think that would have been funnier. I also think it would have said something a little bit more about how this episode is not actually about these characters. It's about the island and the way that the island brings out the worst in people. And it's also about the main characters and their reaction to this storyline. And that's clearly a great idea. That's not what the point of this episode is. Unfortunately. It's something that they do. It's it's This is the making lemonade portion of right. dealing with the lemon that is Nikki and Paolo. 
who only exist because of customer complaints, which is why you should never listen to customer complaints. It's true. And so, of course, if you were watching this streaming, you might not know any of this and you might think, oh, that's very, very clever, even the way it is written. I don't think you can give Lindelof and Cuse any credit for this because we know, having watched it at the time, that this was right around the time where they'd gone to ABC and said, look, we're not going to do this not knowing where we're going. We're going to do this many more seasons. We're going to do this many more episodes. And that's it. Season three is the last season. Not that there won't be, you know, filler episodes, but they won't exist to this degree. And, and so because those of us who watched it at the time know why this episode exists, I'm afraid I cannot give them full credit for cleverness Right, here. and I don't, I actually Partial don't. credit. I don't like it because it is such a good episode, but knowing that it's, that it is once again production intruding on the story but also, it just seems like we introduce these characters in order to kill them off. And they didn't do that. They didn't need to do that, though, is the thing. Even. But I don't think that's what no. they were doing. It's like it's like Michelle Rodriguez and Cynthia Watros' character. I don't think that's what they were doing either. What I'm trying to say is, is that it we don't need that. We, we would have been okay just being like, yeah, these are two background characters that none of us have seen before. They've done it before with arts. And right. In fact, they bring up Art so many times. He plays a key role in this because, as you pointed out, in every high school class, you, you only listen to the first half of the instructions and not the second half of the instructions. What are we doing today? What's happening? Huh? You've now been what? Sitting do, there now for what ten do, minutes. Now what do I do? Yeah, but I love it when Lost goes into genre. There's a hard turn into Treasure of the Sierra Madre and then another hard turn into horror. I also like that this episode, at least for the first third, really works like an onion peeling back. The first time we see Nikki, she's stripping. And so she's a stripper. But then it turns out she's a detective. But then it turns out this is all a TV show and she's a guest star. And she makes the joke about how guest stars get killed off, which is a really meta reference. Bulletproof breasts. Bulletproof breasts. That's right. And then it turns out that she's in love with the showrunner who's kind of elderly. And then it turns out Paolo was his chef. So maybe she runs away with the chef. And then it turns out that actually they were together and they were conning him. And so it's a love story. And then they crash on the island. And then it's Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And then they get buried alive because everybody thinks they're dead, but they are not. In a truly horrific moment, that episode is like, or the end of the episode is like, Oh, God. Like, they were just buried alive on the island. That's what you get for being evil on the island. Yeah, but I actually also feel like we're going to talk about this later. This said something about the island to me more than the smoke monster or any of the other things. Like, the idea that just even being in this environment makes people do selfish, crazy things. Yeah. Over things that are valueless. Right. Diamonds mean nothing. Even Sun says that, right? When she throws the diamonds at Sawyer. Because yeah. he's like, are you going to keep them? And she's like, they don't mean anything here. Yeah, I think this was a truly great episode. I just wish it was framed better. You, you heard it here. The Nikki and Paolo episode is a truly great episode of Lost. Plus, Sawyer is hilarious. To finish this segment, I will quote Sawyer. Who the hell is Paolo? <laughs> Now, speaking of the island, on the other side of the island, to the main mission. How big is this island? I don't is know. Is it like Westworld? Does it change size according to what they need it to be? Don't don't bring up Westworld. <laughs> don't do Why would you hurt us that way? Back to the main mission and Saeed, who I know you want to talk about. I do. In Enter 7-7, the gang goes searching for Jack and finds a new station, The Flame, and its occupant, Mikhail. Hijinks ensue. Saeed is shot. Mikhail is captured, and Locke makes the flame go splode splode. Is Locke the worst? Okay, first of all, yes. Locke is the worst. Locke is the worst. We're going to talk about Locke later, but I turn to you after both the end of this episode and the next episode and say, why is Locke like this? Trauma. Well, yeah, we'll talk about it later. But, oh, okay. But they actually made me exclaim this. Like, I have never been more, why is Locke like this, than at the end of these two episodes. During Saeed's flashback, he's minding his own business as a chef in France 
when he's kidnapped by the husband of someone he allegedly tortured. I know we don't agree on whether or not Saeed actually tortured this woman, but what does this give us in terms of character development for Saeed? And don't say thruple. No, I wouldn't. We don't agree, although I don't think it matters, because the scene in the basement, first of all, this episode is wonderful, and the flashbacks are a particularly good set of flashbacks, as are all of Saeed's flashbacks, but the scene where he's been in the basement for, I don't know, 24, 48, 72 hours, who knows exactly, and she comes in, and Amira is her name, and she's played by Anne Bedian, and she's got the cat which is supposed to be our visual link to the cat from the flame station who's called Nadia after the uh, the gymnast, the Olympic gymnast. I just thought that was a fun fact. Anyway, it's a great piece of acting on both Naveen Andrews and Anne Bedian's part. They're wonderful in the scene, good character work. But I don't actually think it matters whether he tortured her or not. I think that he did. But at the end of the day, she is supposed to, in that moment, she becomes emblematic of all of the people that he tortured. He does not get to apologize to them, right? Some of them are no longer alive. Some of them will never speak to him or allow him to have that opportunity. Some of them he'll just never see again. But he gets to apologize to her. So I don't think that it matters in that moment whether he actually tortured her or not. He is apologizing on behalf of everything that he has done to her, someone who was tortured. I think that he did, though, because I don't think he would admit to it if he didn't. I don't think he did. I, I, the line, I remember the face of everyone I tortured. Ugh. I think you can read that as him admitting or him saying, yeah, I truly remember. I am someone who feels deep regret for what I did. So believe me, if I had been the person who did this to you, I would remember I think that's what that line means. You can clearly see it the other way. So you think he was there? So you think he was there? Oh, yeah. Like, he knew about it, right? He wasn't the only torturer at the torturer compound. Right. Well, and I just don't feel like she would forget his face. You know? I mean, yeah. She had to have seen him somewhere. Because this is someone... I know trauma can lie to you and all that. And by the way... The whole thing where she describes how she rescued the cat from being tortured by small children and how it loves her and it sits with her and, you know, lets her pet it. But then every once in a while it'll bite her because it forgets that it's safe. That is like one of the best pieces of writing that I think this show has ever done. And of course, like I said, it's acted so well and it's just wonderful, I think. But the point is, is that even if he didn't torture her, he did something that was similar to other people, right? Like, it might as well have been her, I think is sort of the point of yeah. this episode. I do have questions, though. A couple of things. So this is in France, sure. right? So it's implied that he fled to France. He has a different name, right? He goes by something else. He's cooking at a, at a, a restaurant in France. Number one... Did we establish that Saeed could cook? Is this the first time that we're seeing that he has like chef level culinary skills? I don't think we've established it yet, but does it surprise you? No, it doesn't. I just, I was like, I want more of this. I want more Saeed cooking at a restaurant in France, trying to recover from his own trauma. Like, yeah, give it to me. You would watch that show? I would watch the hell out of that show too. Saeed cooks in France. Also like... He's like the perfect romantic partner besides the torture. I mean, Other that's than a, the torture. I mean, big, everybody makes mistakes. That's a big con. But yeah, he's he's the manic pixie engineer, right? right? Because in television, if you are classified as someone who knows anything about technology, you automatically can do anything with technology. He fixes computers. He fixes a sailboat. He knows about radios. Like he He's just like a tech person so i i feel he knows like, how to read an electrical so map i know you haven't seen 24 but for any of you who have I, all i can hear when tessa's saying this is that saeed is the chloe but not just the chloe he's also her husband i haven't seen that but i was thinking felicity how they were like oh she knows about computers ah, yes. and then suddenly she could do anything that they needed done right 
technology-wise. Cisco. Cisco. Yeah, Cisco yeah. is very similar, too. I mean, it's just a television trope, and he falls into that, right? Right. But he also knows how to cook. Yeah. Do Sun and Jin know that he knows how to cook? Stop trying to make thruples happen. I'm just saying, he also has chemistry with almost every single other cast member. Yeah, he like, he and, he and Kate kind of had a little chemistry uh, this week. Look, I know they're not going to get yeah. together. I'm just saying, Naveen Andrews as this character, like... Yeah. All right. I understand. I understand the appeal. In the next episode, Par Avion, the gang uses the map that Saeed took before the flame exploded, before the flame was no longer eternal, before the flame was doused. I hope that cat is okay. I'm sure he's fine. I worry about Vincent. Cats are survivors. Next time we see him, Nadia is riding on Vincent through the jungle. So the gang uses the map that Saeed took to find the barracks. The reason we're on this hunt is to find where the others live so they can get Jack back, right? So when they get to the barracks, they find a sonic security fence, which we know still works because Locke shoved Mikhail into it, made his brain go splode splode. Oh my God, what? Locke. Locke is devolving. Locke is a murderer. Locke? Okay. So again, we're going to talk more is about Locke. Is Locke a murderer? Locke, murderer! I mean, all he did was... He, said, he says he doesn't know... He said he didn't know that was going to happen, but I think the point is he didn't care what oh, happened. Okay. Well, yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's the thing. I... So... Never mind. We'll talk about Locke here in a second. I, I want to <laughs> save all my Locke things for the end. Okay, you're going to save all your Locke stuff till later. So let's skip to... The gang ends up managing to circumnavigate the fence using Kate's professional clambering skills to prove that you can, in fact, climb over the fence and you won't get shocked in the head. Clamberer Kate saves the day. I like that they're establishing early this season that amongst Kate's skill set is she's a good climber. She is a good like, clamberer. If she was a D&D character, she would have like plus dexterity. Like she that's part of her <laughs> like if if Saeed is the tech person, Kate's a good climber. Okay. So if we're doing island deserted island survivor picking teams, is Kate the first pick? Yeah, I think so. Actually, I would pick her over Saeed. Even though I love Saeed and I would want him to be my number two. But Saeed's second pick. Yeah. Here's why. Here's why. Kate is ride or die. If you get Kate to be your friend, there is nothing she will not do for you to help you. She's a good climber. She has a really good other skill set. She's inventive. All that's great. But she does not have her own agenda. Her agenda is to protect her people. Well, she cares about, including Sawyer, for some reason. And I think you're right about Kate. I think you're right about Saeed. Here's the thing. Here's where it gets it gets tough, right? This this involves a little strategy. So what's going to happen here is I think most folks would pick Jack next. No, but but Doctor, right? That would be wrong. Well, I get why it would be tempting, but it would be wrong. It is wrong. And here's the correct answer. Your third pick, or really your second pick, if you get to pick first, you take Kate. The other side takes Saeed. Sad. It is what it is. For your next pick, you pick Sun. Yes, because as you pointed out previously, there's only so much medical intervention you can actually do on the island. If you get hurt bad enough, sure, Jack might be able to stabilize you for for a while, but he's not going to be able to cure you. You're going to die on that island. And I have evidence. The Marshal. Yeah, and Boone. Right. Yeah, so anything that who, can who, be fixed. Who got Shannon to breathe when she was having an asthma attack in the first season? Is Sun. Oh, that's yeah, right. Anything that can be fixed on that island, Sun is going to be able to do it. She Her knowledge base lies outside of traditional medicine, but it is enough from like an alternative herbal perspective to keep you alive if you're going to be able to stay alive. And here's the thing with Sun, you get two for one. Because even if you pick Sun and the other team picks Jin, you're going to end up with Jin. Who is the fourth best pick? 
Does it have to be amongst the Losties, or can it be anyone on the island? Uh, not the others. I was not, thinking. I was thinking Rousseau. Not Rousseau. Okay. Losties. I understand you'd pick Rousseau. I think that's a good pick. Would Rousseau be your fourth pick? Yeah. Okay, let's go to number five then. Let's leave that there. That's fine. Although, can we pause here for a second? Because we didn't get to talk about this last episode, but I love that when Kate is like, I'm going to go get help, and Locke and Saeed are like, who are you getting help from? Who do you think she's getting help from? There's only one other person on the island who hates the others. I like how our top four survival island picks are the squad that's in these episodes if you take Lockout and sub in Sun. So actually for number five, I think I'm going to take Hurley. Hurley. Because you need you need the heart of the group. Mm-hmm. You need the heart. Mm-hmm. You need someone who's going to take you golfing when things get hard. Right. You need somebody who's going to learn how to fix a van despite the odds. Yeah, I think you take Hurls. Yeah. And then you oh. a- and then you actively boot Jack and John Locke into the ocean. I mean, you're gonna have to take them eventually, and I think I think that they need to be separated. Mm-hmm. I think I think that, they're bad for each other. Yeah, yeah. Now the question is, I'd you... rather take Jack than Locke, though. Okay, but here's here's my final question on the subject. Two parter. Part one: Do you take Sawyer before you take Jack? Yes. Part two. Now that I know Sawyer, his unreliability is more reliable than Jack thinking he knows the right thing to do. Like, I know how Sawyer will react in most situations. I can predict that. I can actually kind of manage Sawyer knowing how he works. Right. It's people like Jack that think that they know best and people like Locke who think they're the main character that are going to be the problem. Okay, so here's the thing. All right, so you pick Sawyer, mm-hmm. and it comes around like we're pretty, we're getting deep into this draft here. Right. It comes back to you. You took Sawyer in the last round. Hypothetical, within a hypothetical, Jack and Locke are still available. Now, at some point, you got to take one. Knowing you already have Sawyer, can you have Jack on the same team, or do you have to take Locke at this See, point? I I think I have to take Locke because I don't think Jack would still be available. I think once I took Sun, the other this team is would a take hypothetical. Right. I'm saying like if I took Sun, I think the other team would take Jack because they would also need a medical person on their okay. team. So I think I'd have to take Locke. But if we're talking purely in terms of preference, I would take Jack. And speaking of Jack, we finally see Jack at the end of this episode. When they break through the tree line onto the edge of the barracks, they see Jack just running full speed for them like he's making a break to escape and they're all ready to help him. When all of a sudden he puts his arms up and has a perfect over-the-shoulder football catch as if he's not trying to escape, but he's one of the others now. The confusion. Lost across the screen end of episode. The confusion and heartbreak on Kate's face, like she, she's been betrayed so many times by different people. Yeah. And she really thought she could, she could rely on Jack. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot about their relationship in this episode or set of episodes because. What relationship? No, I mean like friend, like even if we're not talking romantic, they're still, they're still very close, even if it's not romantic. I think Jack still kind of wants it to be romantic. I don't know. You think so? Or, you know, it's friendship with sexual tension. Let's just leave it there. It's there. But I don't think they're going for it, you know? Friends with you haven't had the qualified waiting period for benefits yet. Yeah. Anyway, they, <laughs> she's just like, she's so confused. But she's insistent. That she has to go see him. She has to talk with him. She has to figure out why he's still there, why he's acting the way that he's acting. Because like I said, Kate will always find you. So this brings us to the man from Tallahassee, who it turns out is Anthony Cooper, the man who stole Locke's kidney. And ruined Sawyer's life. Let's not forget that. Nope. Did not forget that. Probably ruined that lady's life too. It's heavily implied he killed her son. Yep. Her son, played by... Patrick J. Adams, 
who, if you're a uh, CWDC person, might remember from his short stint on Legends of Tomorrow. But let's be honest, you remember him as Mike Ross from Suits. That's right. This is Meghan Markle's TV husband. I like seeing it. I'm glad he had this this brief stint of work in the past before the show I know him for. It's like, it's good he's getting work. I'm like, wait, this happened before Suits. Anyway... Patrick J. Adams great in this episode. It's like Ian Somhalder and like before Vampire uh, Diaries. So this is the episode where we see how Locke was paralyzed. What had happened was he got in the way of another Cooper Con and was thrown out of an eight-story window. We see it happen. It's sudden. It's uh, <laughs> it's jarring. Yeah. It's violent. It is. It is the first scene on Lost. That took my breath away. There are several scenes. There are more in this season that do that. But this is the first time where I said, oh, this is a show. I mean, they told us at the beginning of the episode that they were going to actually show us how he got paralyzed finally because he takes Ben and Alex hostage. He goes off main mission. He takes Alex and Ben hostage and he has this Back and forth conversation with Ben, which we should definitely talk about the relationship between those two. Ben is in a wheelchair because he's still recovering from surgery. And he asks Locke, because he reveals that he knows that Locke was paralyzed before he came to the island. He asks him if it hurt. And Locke says, I felt my back break. What do you think? And so that's supposed to be our clue that we're finally going to see this in the episode. I still wasn't expecting this. I wasn't expecting it at all. Because, yeah, it's his father, and he's confronting him, and so far we haven't seen any violence from this character. Just, he's not a great person, but he's not, he doesn't seem violent. And then he just suddenly just, like, comes at Locke and pushes him through the window. Yeah, it's just, it is so disjointed compared to the rest of the episode, but it still kind of works. Here's where I go get with Locke. Locke is a fascinating character to me. I don't like him. He is a terrible person. And that's been proven in the last couple of episodes. As I've said before, he thinks he's the main character. All of this weird disjointed stuff that has happened to him over his life has created this person who believes in himself so much that no one else on the island matters. He does not care about the rest of the Losties. He does not care about Saeed. He does not care about Cater Jack. He, and we've seen this before, right? We when, have. When, 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 he was, um, when he was going out with Leela. Yeah. He, Katie Seagal. He sees himself as on a hero's journey. Yeah. He hasn't completely revealed what he thinks that hero's journey is yet. Mm-hmm. What the goal is. He thinks that the island is a big part of it, which is why he doesn't want anyone to leave the island which is why he blows up the submarine. And that's why he blows up the flame station because he's afraid people will use it to contact the outside world because he hasn't figured out yet the whole EMP magnet thing knocked out all the communications yet. He has a connection with the island, some sort of like psychological, spiritual connection. He thinks that this is the place where he can be himself, where he can fulfill this hero's journey, that he can be the main character. I also think he blew up the island because he feels threatened by people like Saeed, who are clearly better at this than he is, right? Saeed especially, and Jack, to a lesser extent, represent people who have skills that he wishes he could have. He wants to be the one, but they're more, they fit into that mold more than he does. And I think he's incredibly jealous of it. But he is getting more and more violent. We see that with him casually killing Mikhail at the sonar fence or whatever. When he gets called out in the lie by Saeed, he doesn't even try to cover. He's just like, oops, you caught me. He threatens to shoot Alex. Like, it's, he's not a good person. But I am fascinated by him is the thing. Because there's, I've never seen a character like this before. Ever. On television. Yeah, and this episode does a really good job of A, confirming that Locke is the worst, and B, making us feel sympathy for him. And... I'm really fascinated by your take on Locke because you're clearly thinking about things in a different way than I did when I was watching the show for the first time. And the way that you're thinking 
without spoiling anything at all, it explains actually a lot for me about the kind of experience that other people have perhaps had with this show. Because I have a almost completely different experience. I, until watching it a second time, I was not thinking about this. That You know, you're thinking about it the first time. The first time I was thinking about, I cared about the characters and I cared about the Dharma Initiative. There was something about these characters and the Dharma Initiative. And the more flashback episodes we got, like the more layers that got peeled of the onion, we would start to understand and start to slowly see the connections between these characters and the Dharma Initiative. Like when Hurley wins the lottery because of the numbers that get put into the computer. To me, that's what the whole show was going to be. It was all about those pieces of a puzzle finally fitting together. The island is just a place. But you're saying that the island is the whole point of the thing. Yeah, and Locke thinks so too. And granted, I'm not sure we should take Locke at his word, we right? We should not. Because he has a very warped idea of what the island is. And he has this need to be special because of all of the... I mean, believe it or not, I never know what's going to happen in a Locke flashback. Like, it's just like his life has taken so many twists and turns. But because of all of that, he needs to be special. And he thinks the island is special or has the opportunity to make well, him special. Notice every flashback that Locke's had, he thinks he's going to be a winner finally. Right. He's going to be a winner with his dad. He's going to be a winner with his girlfriend. He's going to be a winner with the strange pot cult. He's going to be a... Well, actually, this one is, he doesn't think he's going to be a winner anymore. Right. And that's probably why it's the one he gets paralyzed in. Right. Which, there's a little bit of weird ableism there because he, I mean, people do grieve when they become disabled because that's yeah. just part of life. But he, the the episode and he. He specifically identifies his ability to walk and the island healing him as a sign that he's special and that this is his narrative. And he takes that back that Ben is in a wheelchair as a sign that it is not Ben's narrative and that Ben does not have the connection to the island that he does. I metaphorical disability using it in this way is real iffy at best. And I don't like the way that he tells Ben, well, I'm not in a wheelchair and you are like all of that. Right. Real not. It's not good. Okay. But about this conversation with Locke and Locke and Linus with hmm. Benjamin Linus, do you care at all about this conversation? I do actually, because Ben is another fascinating character to me. And this just goes to show that he could have been a great villain on Arrow this just goes to show he could have been a great villain on Arrow, but they completely misused him, which Arrow, we haven't talked about this yet, but Arrow follows a lot of structure too, because it's right. flashbacks on an island, but that's beside the point. What What do you think about um, a character from Arrow showing up on Peacemaker, Tessa? Oh my God, I love him. I love him so much. What What's really, I just think that's great. Um, yeah, he is one of my favorite characters. I hated Adrian Chase in... Arrow, he's if great. If you're just putting this together, Adrian Chase was the one of the worst villains on Arrow. But he's one of the best characters on Peacemaker. Yes. Like, oh Is my God. Is he the best villain on Peacemaker? Oh my God. He's so funny on Peacemaker. I Today's episode especially, I just laughed the whole time. How am I supposed to follow rule number two? <laughs> back to Ben. Ba- uh. Back to Benjamin Locke. Back to Benjamin <laughs> Linus and John Locke. That's Tessa. a weird firestorm character. <laughs> he's Blofeld. He, I mean, Alex tells Locke, he's manipulating you, you know. And Locke says, how can you tell? It's what he does. Yeah. Right? He always lies to everyone around him. His whole thing is manipulating people into doing what he wants. He tells Locke what he thinks Locke wants to hear. In terms of, yeah, the island, you have a connection to it. Even though Ben says he was born there. So there are some parallels with him and Locke in terms of the yeah. island. He, We still don't know why he's there, why he has these this group of people here. But he's trying to figure out how to keep them there. 
But he manipulates Locke into doing what Locke already wants to do, which is blow up the sub. Because as he tells Locke, that that final conversation is just so such a Bond villain moment because he just wheels in, right? And he's just like so cold. And he says, you know, I had to figure out a way to keep Jack here, but also keep my word. And I couldn't figure it out. And then you walked in my house, you know? And it's just, it's wonderful. Like this, he is a great great and chilling villain. And, yeah. And I don't know if, if team Darleton necessarily planned it out this way, but I planned this episode out this way because the rule of three is a very important thing. After this conversation, Locke goes to the submarine and makes it explode, explode. Sorry, Jack. Yeah. I'm really curious to know what Jack and Juliet's reaction to this is. Cause we Not don't, good. we don't see it. We don't see it. In do, this you, episode. do you think, do you see in the future a status quo reshaping between Locke and Jack? Are they going to be able to be in the same room again? I don't know. I think it's only a matter of time before Locke turns these increasingly violent tendencies on the Losties. Because as mm. I pointed out, he doesn't care. He doesn't care about the others. He doesn't care about the Losties. In fact, his reasoning for why he blows up the submarine isn't because he's afraid he's going to become paralyzed again. It's because he thinks that the others are cheating. He sees the island as this place where you have to survive. And if you're special, you're going to survive and it's going to be great. And you're going to win finally. And he says the, uh, you know, he says you have your electricity and your chicken and bridges and your submarines and you're cheating. That's not what this Island is about. And Ben says, you don't know what this Island is about. I was born here. The question is, does Ben know what the Island is about? Indeed. Now you mentioned the losties. Let's go back to the beach and talk about what's been happening on the beach in these four episodes, which really isn't a lot if you take out expose, take that (laughs) episode out. So we're really just talking about the first three episodes. Back on the beach, we're going to start with the most important development, the ping pong game. Yes, Sawyer challenges them to a ping pong game. They find the ping pong table or parts of the ping pong table in the woods after the hatch explosion. Those are words I never thought I would say in the same sentence. They find it. Sawyer finds the ball. He challenges them to a ping pong game, ping pong ball game, because he wants to get his stuff back. I love that all his stuff immediately got stolen as soon as he went to go see the others. Yep. And he got mad when he came back, but he couldn't stay mad because it was Hurley. Right. You can't stay mad at Hurley. Also, I, I feel like it bears notice that the hatch exploding decoupled Desmond from his underwear, (laughs) but kept the ping pong table largely intact and the ball. They found the ball. Yeah. And paddles. They had real paddles. paddles. Dharma branded paddles. Dharma branded paddles. And Sawyer, uh, I love how Sawyer is so cocky because he thinks he's better than everybody else. Not in the way Locke thinks that he's better than everyone else. He just thinks that he's better than everybody else. And he challenges them to a ping pong game, not realizing that Hurley is like state national champion of ping pong, which I guess was that was established in season one or season two. I don't remember exactly when it was established, but I do remember them talking about it. I think it was actually season one because he kept losing at backgammon, remember? And he was Uh like, I was good at ping pong. Oh, yeah. I think that was right. That did happen. And so, well, Sawyer scored a whole three points. Yeah. So, but I love how Sun and Jin know. Yeah. Because then they talk about it, and then Sun is like, "You can't call us nicknames for a whole week." And that's fun. And I like that that includes not even calling Hurley Hurley, even though yep. that's the name he prefers to go by. Just to stick it to Sawyer, he makes him call him Hugo. So, this is fun, right? And we get to see it pay off a little bit later when Sawyer has to call Claire. Claire. And speaking of Claire, so let's let's talk about that a little bit. We have the episode with the goals, right? So the goals are migrating south. Claire sees them and realizes that their migratory patterns are tracked. So they're going to have the, the things around their legs. And if they manage to catch one, they can send a note 
And so for the whole episode, while she's trying to make this happen, Desmond is foiling her every attempt. And it turns out the reason he does this is he saw Charlie slipping and falling on rocks and dying, trying to get a bird for Claire. So he runs the clock out on that happening and then catches one for her. They write a note, send the bird off. Can we talk about how literary that note was? Like, that's not how you write a save us note. Well, I'd like to first of all say a save us note would include the words save us and probably just a little context. Right. But like the in the genre of rescue notes. Yes. Generally, they're not quite this like we've lost we, we've lost hope, but we've been trying to find ways to survive despite all of the terrible things that have happened. No, you say Went down on plane. Please rescue us. We think we're somewhere near Fiji. Please don't stop looking. That's not that's not what she says, though. 1-800-RESCUE-US. <laughs> that's not what she does. SOS. She doesn't like, do that either. Yeah, like, this is more of a rescue. This, this, what she writes sounds more. It's, it's like it's like it's been seven hours and 15 days <laughs> since she took. Your love away, yeah. That's, right? what, that's what it yeah. sounds like. I, I really feels like she was in an MFA class, and someone was like, <laughs> "Write, write it, write a short piece of nonfiction in the form of a rescue note." It's it's fun to think about this, right? Because Saeed would be like the professional chef, Claire would be that girl in your MFA class, rocking the goth look because oh, we see geez. that in the flashback. Emily De Raven, Emily De Raven looks real good in black hair. Right, so in that flashback, of course, we we see that uh, her mom is in a coma in a long-term care facility and is there because the two of them were fighting and we're assuming that Claire kind of like took her attention away from the road, but she feels responsible. But the whole point of this is that because her mom's in long-term care, that allows Christian Shepherd Daddy to Shepherd. show up and meet his daughter, which, spoiler alert, does not go well. See, I don't know what happens with her and Jack. I don't know if they ever find out they're half-siblings. This just feels like it was to remind us that they're half-siblings. Like, oh yeah, remember that reveal we did in season two where it turns out they're half-siblings? Because literally there's no other point to the flashbacks. I liked the main story in this episode more than I liked the flashbacks. Because, yeah, it's sad. I mean that her mom went through this, but it really felt like they were more moving pieces around. And I hate that she's like, I don't even want to know your name. Is there any, that felt so contrived. Is there any other character's backstory as thin or thinner than Claire's? That's a good question because I really love her season one episode. That's very Rosemary's baby. Yeah. When she first gets pregnant, that's a really good episode of lost. But the rest of her flashbacks have not been good. They and, haven't really told us anything more about her. And I would point out that the Michael and Walt flashback episodes actually give us more. The Ana Lucia two. flashback episodes give us the more. The Nikki and Paolo flashback yeah. episode. Yeah. I mean, that's how I feel about it. I do. I did really like the main storyline in this episode, though, because in season two, I really hated the whole thing where... Charlie was going through some addiction issues and he was having these hallucinations because of the island. And she treats him so badly in those episodes. And now that I'm thinking about it, I think it's because of Locke. I think because remember Locke and her were kind of like, like taking care of the baby and Locke was sort of telling her how she should feel about Charlie. And I, and it was very unkind and it was very not understanding about addiction. And it leads Charlie into this very dark place this episode, she's listening to Desmond tell her what's going on with Charlie. And Desmond is clearly a better person and a better communicator because she comes back and treats Charlie with such empathy and kindness. And it's not clear whether she thinks that Desmond is right, whether she actually believes what Desmond tells her, but she knows that Charlie believes it. And that's what's important. And, and as you're talking through this, I'm realizing in real time, again... You never know how much to give Team Darleton credit. Think about all the positive interactions that are happening on the beach. 
Jack and Locke are not there, but Sawyer is. That's true, which might tell us something about Sawyer, and it might tell us something about Desmond as well. And if I were going to give them credit for establishing that as a fact through these episodes, the main piece of evidence I would cite that we have not cited already is that Charlie takes this opportunity to come clean to Sun about the kidnapping. It's kind of like a, we were different people then, we're wiping the slate clean, and this isn't just Charlie. This is Sawyer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that surprised me mainly because I partially had forgotten that it had happened. <laughs> <laughs> because that happens on the show quite a bit. But also, like, he is so honest with her about why, but he's also very... He's sorry. Like, he's not trying to couch it in, like, oh, well, I was having problems with my addiction or whatever. He, like, is genuinely sorry about it. And he tells her that it was helping Sawyer, which Sawyer was really taking advantage of Charlie. And I think that Sun realizes that because she does blame Sawyer more than she blames Charlie. She does punch Charlie. And she also tells Charlie, when he asks her, will you tell Jen about this? She says, no, because we'd have to dig another grave. So, like, she obviously is angry at Charlie, but she clearly clearly blames Sawyer more than him because it's definitely him that her words, the diamonds are valueless here, is aimed at. They didn't mean nothing here because what she's actually talking about is the guns, right? Which is why Charlie kidnapped her in the first place. The guns don't mean anything, right? His hoarding these possessions doesn't mean anything. Although he is reading the Fountainhead. So he went up five points, went back down three points. That doesn't mean he could, I mean, he might be hate reading it. I don't know. On the beach? I, well, he doesn't exactly have a lot to choose from. One more thing. I have to say, though, I also think it's hilarious that both Saeed and Locke have very prominent black eyes by the end of this arc because they've both clearly been hit in the face with a, the butt of a gun. But Kate is, like, perfectly fine. No black eyes. Her hair is perfect. And Rousseau keeps leaving the main mission anytime something gets hard and then coming back in at the end like, I was here the whole time. But we'll see how this progresses in the next few episodes. We'll also see what Locke does with the man from Tallahassee. What will happen to Jack and Juliet and Saeed and Kate? Will the Benjamin Linus John Locke happy hour proceed? I don't know. We'll find out. That's it for today, though. Join us next week for more Tessa Watches Lost. You can find me on Twitter at Sam underscore Morris 9, and you can find Tessa at Suela Tessa. Until next time, I'm just a guest star. And we all know what happens to guest stars.